Well, good morning. And it's good to have you here as we continue this series. We've been talking about growing in life, and I don't know about you, but growing is something that I want to do. I have, I have ADD, so sitting still is not my forte. I, I like to keep moving. I like, I like to keep it moving, and, and part of that in my life is just a, a, a desire to just keep, keep growing, find something new. My, my wife would tell you that I have an absolute drive to take on the next challenge. Whatever it is, you know, I, I get done with what I'm working on. I want to work on something different. And so this series has been helpful for me as we've been talking about growing in life. And today I want to take a, a real specific approach because I want to talk to you about what you can do uh, to make sure that when you're growing, you reach your full potential. Uh, last week we talked about seeds. This week really what we're talking about is, is tending. How do you go about tending the growth that God is, is doing in your life right now? And, and uh, so I, I have to be real upfront with you from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood said in Dirty Harry, he had a one-liner, he said, a man's got to know his limitations. Well, Growing stuff is one of my limitations. I can't do it, uh, and, and it's better for the plants that I not try. I, um, I walk, you know, when I walk into Walmart, lawn and garden section in the spring, you know, and I see the little tomato seeds there in the packet, I start breaking out into cold sweats, you know, because uh, I like tomatoes and I would like to grow some, but I look at those seeds and I think they stand very little chance with me and and so then I, I think the potted plants I go over, because you know they start, you know, f- for people like me, they start growing them ahead of time, right, so that you have a little bit less of chance of failure. You walk over there, and they've got these little potted plants, you know, and, but I look at them, and they're these little baby plants, you know, and I think to myself, what did these things ever do to hurt me, you know? And, and if, I, if I take these home, then they're just going to die, and then I'm going to feel really bad. And inevitably, I end up in the produce section, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, these tomatoes have lived a good long life, you know. I learned last year that I can even kill grass. Who does that? Who kills grass? Grass just grows, doesn't it? I mean, grass kind of grows on its own. Who, who, who does that? And I was thinking to myself, you know, uh, I, what I would really like is a, is a front and backyard made of AstroTurf, right? That, that would be a real man's lawn right there if I, could, if I could do that, and then I wouldn't have to worry about it. But have you ever noticed, and I know this is kind of a weird thought, but have you ever noticed that a lot of times it depends who's doing the, the, the work with plants, who's doing the growing that really makes the difference in what the outcome is. It's like the same seeds, right? The same plant, the same potential, but two wildly different outcomes, right? I mean, if my wife is growing a plant, you get these nice budding flowers, everything is great. If I'm growing a plant, I get a heap of dead leaves, right? Just The only difference is that it's two different people tending the growth. And I don't know, maybe you've watched this in life. Maybe you've witnessed two different people who had in truly a lot of the same background, a lot of the same advantages. They had uh, good family life, good education. Um, uh, they had, seems like everything going for them. You watch two people. One of them seems to do super well, and the other one kind of goes off the rails. You think about the same potential, but a very, big, a, a very different outcome. And what I want to do as we talked this morning is I want to tell you that you can affect the outcome of your growth. In fact, let me, let me put it this way. What you do while you grow makes a big difference. In fact, it may make all the difference. What you do while you grow makes a big difference. And I want to talk to you about some things you can do while you grow to reach your full potential. But before I do that, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. And really, it's just one major thought. And if you can get this one major thought, it'll make everything else that I have to say this morning make sense. And th- this one major thought is this. Anytime anything grows, it is always God doing the growing. Anytime anything grows, it is always God doing the growing, right? So whether you're talking about tomato plants or you're talking about your career, if something is growing, God is the one who's actually engineering the process. God has something that we don't have. 
God is the creator. He's the only person who can create new life. And so when you see something growing, he's behind the process. In the second Peter 1.3, Peter's telling us that this affects how we grow as people. He says, by his divine power, God has given us, now look at this, everything we need for living a godly life. God has given us everything that we need to grow, and God is the person doing the growing. So whether we're talking about, uh, no matter what we're talking about growing, he's the one behind it. So look at this in Luke 12, because I want to show you this verse just to show you that this is what God does. This is his, this is his MO, God grows stuff. In Luke 12, 25, and this is kind of, I'm kind of taking a different angle on this text, because Jesus is actually in the process of talking to people about not worrying. And by the way, I can use a reminder not to worry any old time, so I'll, I'll take it. But he's saying, can all your worries add a single, now look at this, add a single moment to your life. And then Jesus says, and if worry can't accomplish a what? A little thing like that. What's the use of worrying over big things, right? Now think about it. When we read this as human beings, we go, now wait a minute, God, adding a moment to your life, and, 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 and we're not really sure exactly whether he said add a moment to your life or add, you know, add an inch to your height. Whether we're talking about adding time or adding height, you can't do it. We think of those as big things. But, but when when Jesus talks about it, he says, oh, no, 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 that's a little thing. Why? Because he's God, and that's what he does. He grows stuff. So if God's the person who's growing, he's doing the growth, so whether you're, you know, no matter what you're growing, he's the one who's doing it, where's my part come in? Jonathan, a second ago you said, what I do while I grow makes a difference. So where do I come in? 2 Peter 1.5 answers this. A second ago, Peter said, God's given us everything we need for a godly life. God has promised us his, his power and growing. And then in 2 Peter 1.5, he says, in view of this, make every effort to do what? Respond. Make every effort to respond. Why? If God, now isn't this cool? When you're growing something in the ground, you put the seeds in. When God's actually doing the growing, whether you actually do a good job of tending the growth or not has to do with how you respond to what God is already doing. It's actually, anytime anything grows, it is always a cooperative effort. Whether or not you reach the optimum potential of that plant or of your life or of your career or of your parenting skills or of your marriage has to do with can you cooperate with what God is already doing. I think this is important to realize because we can stress out by trying to grow ourselves or we can remember that God's the one doing the growing, and the point is whether or not we can cooperate with that. Now, here's what's interesting. I work with people sometimes. You know, I do a lot of uh, marriage coaching and that sort of thing, and, and, and I use the Bible as a, as a source for ultimate truth, and, and every once in a while, a person will be real honest with me, and I appreciate their honesty, and they'll say, you know what, Jonathan, here's why I struggle with the Bible. The Bible is a book that has so many do's and don'ts in it, and it just doesn't seem fair. You know, it seems kind of vindictive. seems like God's sort of unilateral, some sort of unilateral control freak. He's trying to put me in a box. He's trying to tell me what I can and can't do. And Jonathan, and they say this like it's a badge of honor. Jonathan, when somebody tries to put me in a box, I just push back. You know, that's what I do. That's just part of my charm, you know. Like I'm going to give them a gold star for that, right? But when, when somebody tries to put me in a box, I just push back. That's what I do, right? The Bible's just do's and don'ts. That's just all it is, do's and don'ts. Well, think about this. Somewhere at a greenhouse in Wichita somewhere today, there's a book on growing tomato plants. By the way, can you tell I'm hung up on tomatoes today? Okay. So, somewhere in, the, in Wichita, there's a book on growing tomato plants. And you're going to read that book. And you look at the book. And imagine if you're reading through there, and all of a sudden you slam the book shut and you say, How vindictive! How ridiculous. They're telling me I have to water the plants every day. They're telling me I have to tend the garden. I, I've, I've got to look after the vines. They're telling me all these things I have to do, all this time I've got to invest in these plants. They're trying to put me in a box. They're trying to control me. They're trying to tell me I have to do all these things, right? This gardening book is just full of do's and don'ts. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because it's based on an assumption. 
It's based on an assumption that you want to grow tomato plants, right? Of course there are do's and don'ts. It's giving you direction. It's telling you, look, here's the thing. Tomato plants grow when you cooperate with the process and do these things. So when you look at the Bible, here's the deal. If you come to me and you say, Pastor Jonathan, the Bible is full of do's and don'ts. You know what? I will not argue with you. There are do's and don'ts in this book. I absolutely guarantee you are right. But of course there are. Of course there are do's and don'ts in the Bible because the Bible is based on an assumption. The Bible is based on an assumption that you want to grow, that you want to grow spiritually, that you want to grow personally, that you want your marriage to grow and your parenting to grow. And the Bible is saying, look, if you want to grow, you need to know these things. You need to have this guidance so that you can cooperate with the process. Here's what's interesting. I was thinking about this. I, I was thinking about this the other day because somebody was telling me they said, "You know, Jonathan, this whole do's and don'ts thing. You know, it's it's like it's like every time I look into the Bible or I go to New Spring, you know, and and, and Jonathan, I really appreciate what Mark has to say. You know, I mean, he really he's he's kind and gracious and and everything. But Jonathan, I always kind of walk out with the sense that I'm doing all these things wrong. You know, I, I that God's trying. God is trying to show me where I have failed. God's trying to show me where I've done this wrong and I've done this wrong and I've done this wrong. And you know what, Jonathan, it, it feels to me like God's trying to point out what all is bad in me. Can I tell you, it's not like that at all. See, here's the thing. When, when you come to God and you begin to follow him, God puts something in you that he starts to grow that is so good, it needs these things to thrive. That's the cool part. Now, you think about this. When God tells us, when we, when we read in 2 Peter, and, the, and 2 Peter says you're going to supplement your faith with, with moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, and not, knowledge with patient endurance, and patient endurance with self-control, and self-control with love for people that you're in relationships with, and love for people you're in relationships with, for lo- with love for everybody. And you think all those things, wow, that's so much and there's so many things in that list that I don't, I don't have. But here's the thing, what the Bible is telling us, it's not saying, look, you need to be, you, you need to be beaten down because you, you don't have moral excellence. No, the Bible is saying God is growing something in you that is so awesome, moral excellence is what it needs to survive. God is growing something in you that is so awesome, knowledge is what it needs to thrive. He's growing something in you that's so cool that, that, that self-control is necessary in order to grow it. It's not about what's bad in you. It's about what God has placed in you that is good, and he's trying to show you this is what it needs to be cooperated with. This is what, what it will take to grow. In Proverbs 15, 32, the Bible says, if you reject discipline, those are, the do, those are the do's and don'ts, those are the instructions that are in the growing book. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, the Bible's just saying if you listen to instructions, you grow in understanding. The Bible's telling us that people who don't listen to instructions are standing in their own way. They're, they're crimping their own potential. See, God understands the growing process. That's what's really important to remember. God understands the growing process because he's the one doing it. So when God gives us instructions, he's just teaching us how to get there. But I, I, I got to just be honest with you, and this is really me going to a real honest place with you. I don't really struggle so much with God wanting to give me instructions. What I tend to struggle with sometimes is that when God gives me instructions, I kind of don't get it sometimes, right? Sort of goes like that. And, and I, I want to do the right thing, but I kind of miss what God's trying to teach me to do, and I end up kind of doing the wrong thing. See, I have a, I have a history, and my, my parents could vouch for this, especially as a child. I have a history of intending to do the right thing, but sort of running a regals and taking it the whole opposite direction, you know? And so my dad, my dad and my mom had this little phrase they used when I was a kid, and the phrase was, don't help me, right? <laughs> you're trying to do the right thing, but you're kind of taking it in the wrong direction. I remember I did this one time when, when, uh, when, when, when I was a kid, and I, I guess I was seven or eight, and uh, we were a much different church back then, very small church, and uh, we lived, and my, my family lived across the street. We had a little church-owned house that we lived in across the street, and 
And uh, so being in that environment, you, you know, you were always talking to people from the church and so forth, and that's important. You'll need to remember that later on. In any case, um, we, my, my dad had this friend, and, and he had a Rolls Royce. And his friends kept saying, you've got to ride, got to take a ride with us in the rolls. You know, you got to, we, we got to do, and he, it was an out-of-town friend, so we were not around him a lot. But one time we were out of town with him, and he said, you know, Mark, you got to, got to let me take you for a ride in the Rolls Royce, you know. And so he said, all right, fine. So we piled in, family of four piled into the back seat of a Rolls Royce, and, and the, you know, the friend and his wife were up in the front seat, and we took a drive around this, uh, the city. And we got back, and we were getting into our car, and I started asking my dad questions. Because my dad's into cars, and I'm into cars, and, and we just started kind of having a discussion. And I said, Dad, that Rolls Royce, that was a pretty cool car, wasn't it? He said, yeah, it was a pretty cool car. I said, Dad, that's the most expensive car they make, right? And Dad said, yeah, Jonathan, pretty much. That's the most expensive car they make. And I said, that is awesome, you know? And I think my dad could sense I was starting to get hung up on the fact that this was the most expensive car ever made. And my dad's like, here's a teaching moment. I'm going to teach Jonathan something, right? So, so he says, now, Jonathan, you need to remember that you don't, you don't need to get hung up on when something is the most expensive because, Jonathan, here's the thing. Glamour is not the most important thing. You will find in your life, and he's really giving me some good advice. He's like, you will find in your life that a lot of times there are a lot of things that are just as good that are not as expensive as, as the most expensive thing. He's like, for instance, he's like, there are Mercedes right now on a car lot that are half of what that car was that we just rode in that are every bit as nice and maybe even a little bit nicer. You know? And my dad's thinking, well, I, I help Jonathan really understand the value of something, and I'm in the back seat going like that, right? <clears throat> so anyway, we were, at the, we were at the parsonage one day, and I was kind of, you know, by myself, and, and um, a church member kind of saunters over and talks to me, because we had just, my dad had just bought a Volvo, right? A Volvo 240, kind of a bathtub-looking car, right? And um, this, this guy came over, and he said, so how's your dad liking that new Volvo, Right? And I said, oh, I think he likes it okay. We were driving around in a Rolls Royce the other day, and he said he wouldn't mind buying a Mercedes, right? So <laughs> my dad said, don't help me, Jonathan. Yeah. So whether the issue is in our life that we struggle to receive instruction or maybe even sometimes it's that we struggle to understand instruction, I want to give you three simple keys to reaching your full potential. Three ideas that will help you reach the full growth that God has planned for you so that you don't miss out on what he intends for you to be able to do, okay? So here's three simple keys, and we'll run through them quickly and we'll be done. Here's the first one. The first key to growing to reaching your full potential is to have faith in the process. Have faith in the process, okay? Here's the thing. Some, some people in here are master gardeners, and you know that there is always a season where you plant the seed, and, and you have to just wait it out. You have to wait for the growth to happen. You don't see the growth yet, and you know that those are moments when you have to have faith in the process. You know what you expect. It's not happening yet, but you know what you expect, and you've just got to wait it out and have faith in the process, and the thing about it is, in life, when we, go through, when we go through a growing season in life, what's important to remember is that growing seasons are never easy. There will always be a time where we do not see the harvest yet. We don't see the outcome yet. We're waiting it out, right? And the important thing is, the Bible's going to teach us here in a second, that it's really important to stay in there and have faith in the process. Let me read to you James 1. This is verses 2 through 4. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What is this, some sort of new Christian masochism? When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. No, look at this. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance. Important word. Your endurance has a chance 
to grow. This is the opportunity time. This is the growing season. When you're going through a difficult time, this is when the chance is there. This is when you have the opportunity to grow. So now look at the next four words because they're so important. So let it grow. Let it grow. Why would, why would the Bible even go to the trouble to tell us, let it grow? Well, it's because we have a tendency to check out. We have a tendency to check out when we don't see the outcome yet, when we don't see the harvest, when we don't see what we started. You know, when we started this process, we had a goal in mind, and we don't see the goal happening yet. And on top of that, we're going through a difficult season. It's not what we had imagined, and so we tend to check out. I, um, I, I you know, from time to time get the, get the urge to sign up for a gym, you know. I know it's hard for you to believe you look at this, this structure here and you think that I'm, I'm already pretty cut up, and I appreciate that, but uh, I, uh, I think to myself, maybe I, should, maybe I should go to the gym and do some working out, you know. And uh, the problem is I have a tendency to kind of turn over a new leaf and start working out, but the new leaf is kind of, you know, only like a, like a month leaf or so. Month, two month leaf. You know. the, the funny thing is you know you're really not doing well when you go up to the counter at the gym and say, I'd like to sign up, and they say, Mr. Hoover, why don't we just do this sign-up thing a day at a time, you know? You know then you're in trouble, right? Do you know why I have a, tr- I have a problem staying in the whole gym thing? It's because I have to do work. It's not easy. And when I go and I look in the mirror, I still see this, right? It's not the outcome I was looking for. I had this picture of what I wanted to achieve, what I wanted to accomplish. I wasn't sure whether aerobics or weightlifting was the quickest path to buff, but I was going to get there, you know. And I go in front of the mirror and I look and this is still there, right? And I think to myself, all those things that we think, you know, I'm pretty busy anyway. I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I don't really have time for this. Who wants to wake up early in the morning and go work out? And I check out. Why? Because I lose faith in the process. And I get to the point where it seems like all this resistance that I'm going through, all this difficulty is not paying off. But look at what James says. James says, God blesses those who, now look at these two words stacked up next to each other. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Patiently endure. What does that mean? That means when you go through a, a growing season, you're going to have to go through, situ- you're going to have to go through some resistance Part of growth is resistance. You're going to have to go through some resistance. And that's the endurance part. The patient part is to say, you know what? I'm going through this resistance, but I know that I'm going to experience the goal later. Not now. I I understand that I'm going to have to live through this resistance now to reach a goal that I have not yet seen the full outcome of yet. Sometimes you're going to go through a difficult season. I've spent my week working with people who are going through difficult seasons. Just all week long, I've met with, with dozens of people who are going through tremendously difficult times in their life. And there are going to be times when you're going through a difficult season and you did not choose it. it you did not pick it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You did, not, you did not bring it on yourself. It's happening, and it's real, and you're struggling with it, and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to live through this? Can I just encourage you? Growing seasons are always difficult. They're always difficult. But God says, hold on, keep faith in the process. Don't give up. You will reach that time of harvest. And it may be difficult to see right now, and you may not see all the results, but don't lose heart. Don't lose faith in the process. It's it's not easy because the thing about it is you won't get to pick where you grow. Noah 
went through a growing season while he was building a boat for a natural disaster that nobody thought would happen. Everybody called him old crazy Noah. There's old crazy Noah. You know, he was growing when that happened. When Joseph, Joseph was growing when he was in a prison cell, he'd been accused of rape and, and, and never done anything wrong. He's sitting there in that prison cell thinking he may never get out. That was when Joseph did his growing. I mean, Daniel grew when he, when he was hanging out in a cave with a bunch of lions that wanted to eat him. The, the three Hebrew children grew when they were walking around in a fire, fiery furnace. Look, it's almost never will you get to grow where you would like to grow. Growing seasons happen in difficult places and at difficult times, but don't lose faith in the process. I want to read a verse to you, or a passage, and this passage is super important. If you're going through a growing season right now, and you know who you are, if you're going through a growing season right now, and you're in a place that you would not like to be, and you're going through a difficult season that you would, you would prefer not to have to go through, and you feel the resistance right now, and you're having to live through it, you need these verses. If you don't have it circled in your Bible, probably a good idea. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says, When Christ makes his home in your hearts as you trust him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, right? And that's what we need in a moment of a growing season. We need that strength. And then it says this. I love this. May you have the power to what? Understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is, just as we were singing before. May you, but, but now look at this second word. May you experience the love of Christ. Why? It is too great to fully understand then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is huge. Paul is telling us something so important. He's saying, look, you need to try to understand God's love. When you go through a growing season, you need to try to understand God's love because it's so important for you to grasp the fact that he cares about you and that he's going to provide a harvest for you. But there are going to be moments, right, where you don't understand God's love because you can't fully understand it. So when you can't understand it, you need to explore it. You need to go, go and, and walk around in God's love and find out how wide and how long and how tall it is and, and, and understand, you know, some of, some of you have lived that. Some, some of you have been deployed and you found God's love overseas. Some of you have been in the middle of a divorce and you found God's love in the middle of your divorce. You've done the exploring bit. You've gone around and found out that no matter how far you go, you will find God's love. But there are moments, and folks, you'll hit this at some point. There are moments when you can't understand God's love and you are too wore out to explore it. And Paul is saying, look, if you get to a point where you can't understand it and you're too worn out to explore it, he's like, those are moments where you lift your hands up and you say, God, all I can ask for is that I could experience it. I can't understand it. I'm too weak to explore it, but God help me experience it because that's what I need right now. Paul says when that happens, your roots grow down into God's love as you trust him and that will keep you strong. And so many of us need desperately to be strong today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says something about this idea of experiencing God's love. It says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The Bible's saying it's no, no point in worrying about something. You should talk to God about it. It says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will do what? Experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. If you had a, an old translation, it would say, this is God's peace passeth understanding, right? And I, I used to think, when I was a kid, I used to think when we're talking about passeth understanding, it's like passeth the potatoes. You know, you, you, you take it from one person, you hand it to the next person. You know, this is the way that we get understanding is God gives it to us. And this, is not a, this is not at all what the Bible is saying, right? The Bible is saying that, that when the Bible says that God's peace passeth understanding, it's like you pass somebody on K96. It, it overtakes it. It goes beyond it. It, it moves around it. It's, it's, it's better than understanding. And there are moments when we need that. We need that peace that is better than understanding that gets us past it. Some of you know exactly what that means personally. 
I look across this room and I see familiar faces and I know there are people in this room right now that are going through a growing season and you know it. Your friends know it. Everybody knows you're going through a growing season. Can I just ask you to think about this? Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't check out. Just because you don't see the harvest today doesn't mean the harvest isn't coming. Just because the goal isn't, isn't present with you today, just when you look in the mirror and you don't see what it is that you're hoping to see, remember that it's, it's, you have to have faith in the process. I mean, you can say, Jonathan, here's the thing. I don't think I can handle this marriage anymore. I've been to counseling. I've read the books. I've talked to people. Uh, everybody at work tells me that my spouse is an idiot, and they probably are, and I just don't understand. Why, why would you keep telling me I need to hang in there? Because you need to have faith in the process. If God is the one doing the growing, cooperate with him because he has a harvest in mind for you. Okay, I've got to move quickly. The second idea is this. Make consistency a top priority. Make consistency a top priority. The Bible tells us that divided loyalty guarantees that any growth that you experience will be temporary. Right? And this, the, I get this from a, uh, James 1, 5 through 8. It says, if you need wisdom, and all of us do, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. And he won't rebuke you for asking. But... When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not, to expect, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And look at this. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. In the Old Testament, we read a story of a fellow named Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat... Um, I think is a lot like a lot of Christians in, in our world today because he was a good guy and he wanted to follow God. He really did. I mean, I think, you know, if, if they'd had a, a men's Bible study, prayer breakfast, he would have come to that, you know, and he, he, he wanted, you know, he tried to teach his family about God's things. And he, you know, he, there were, and when, when he was king, there people were worshiping idols and so forth and he cut those things down and said, you know, this is, you need to be worshiping the true God. He even, you know, he even went out and started visiting towns and provinces in his kingdom and said, guys, you need to straighten up and follow God. I mean, he was a good guy. And he wanted to follow God. He had one major problem, and it was this problem of consistency. Because see, Jehoshaphat, and this is so, I, I get to this place sometimes. Jehoshaphat would, would find something that he wanted, and what he decided he wanted would start to pull him away from being consistent with what he believed, and he would lose his potential. Happened more than once, at least that we know of. But I tend to think this was a lifestyle for him. Jehoshaphat would, he'd get up cozy with, with people that he shouldn't have been cozy with. He'd get cozy with things that he shouldn't have been cozy with. And after a while, he'd start to want to be part of that. He'd start to want to build an alliance with, with something he knew was wrong. And whenever he would want that, he would start to get dragged away from consistency in what he believed. Jehoshaphat, in, in 2 Chronicles 18.1, it says, Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem. And so he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. Now, here's what you need to know. Ahab was the biggest jerk of all time. He was an idiot. He, he, you know, he, he had a, a troublemaker. The Bible calls uh, his wife an evil person. He, he had a, a messed up home life. He had a messed up view of the world. He killed people because he was paranoid. He was just a, a messed up guy. But the thing about it was Ahab had a lot of stuff going for him in terms of wealth and possessions and military you know, prowess and that sort of thing. And Jehoshaphat, man, you know, he started hanging out with Ahab a little bit, and they started, you know, hanging out and going places and eating together and talking about stuff, you know. And, and Jehoshaphat thought to himself, you know, it would be really cool if we could just sort of like 
merge our resources, you know, kind of pool our, pool our assets in terms of like military type thing. You know, if, if we could just kind of like, you know, get cozy, then they won't fight us and we won't fight them. And, and if either of us has to go out to war and fight somebody else, well, we can do it together. And on top of that, you know, this is a financially good, good idea. But here's the thing. Jehoshaphat knows Ahab is bad news, just like maybe you have some friends in your life and you know they're bad news. But Jehoshaphat knows Ahab is bad news. But the thing about it is he's found some things that he wants and now he's starting to get pulled away from living consistently with what he truly believes. And he loses his potential. We're going to come back to that in a second. In 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 32, we kind of get Jehoshaphat's obituary. It says, Jehoshaphat was a good king, following the ways of his father, and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Now, stopping right at that point, I'd be cool with it if God, I would love it if God could say, Jonathan was a good person and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. I would be really cool with that. But this next part is scary. It says, during his reign, however, he did what? He failed. I don't ever want God to say that about me. I don't ever want God to say, Jonathan was a good person and he tried to follow me, but he failed to reach his full potential. I had a plan for him. I had something I wanted him to accomplish and he failed. The Bible says he failed to remove all the pagan shrines, and the people never fully committed themselves to follow the God of their ancestors. He was always riding the fence. Just couldn't reach the full potential. Why? Because he just lived with a constant desire for things that would pull him away from living what he believed. And then check this out. Just another example. So sometime later, King Jehoshaphat of Judah made an alliance with King Ahaziah. He was also very wicked. And together they built some ships, right? You know, it's no big deal. I know the guy's an idiot too, but, you know, we just met at Bass Pro and we both put the money down. We take the boat on alternate weekends and so forth. It's not that big a deal, right? You know, but the thing about it is he kept doing this. He kept letting himself get dragged away from consistency in what he believed. And the Bible tells us that as a result, he lost his potential. James 1, 14, 15 says this, and this is so important as we start to evaluate in our own lives how this, how this fleshes out. James 1, 14, it says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which do what? They entice us and they drag us away. What do they drag us away from? They drag us away from what we believe. See, it's easy, to leave, it's easy to live what we believe when we don't have things in our life that are dragging us away from it. It's easy to live what we believe when there aren't things in our life that are enticing us and trying to pull us away. can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office with a, with a, a gentleman across from me sitting there on the couch and telling me, Jonathan, I know that God wants me to be faithful to my wife, and I know that God doesn't want me to divorce her, but you know what, Jonathan? I truly believe that God has brought this other woman into my life, and I, I, I just think that God wants me to be happy. And then right about this time is when the snowstorm comes in my office and I could start skiing, because he goes, you know, the truth is that really we've not been good for each other. You know, I mean, I've not been good for her, you know, my, my wife, and my wife hasn't been good for me. And so what we really need is a fresh start. That would be what God wants for us. God wants us to have a fresh start. She can find somebody new. I can find somebody new. He's already found somebody, but whatever, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll achieve what God wants us to do in that. And you know what has happened? That person that I'm talking to is an otherwise sensible, reasonable thinking person, but right now he's not thinking very clearly. He knows what he believes, but he has found something that he wants and he's getting dragged away. He's getting pulled away from living what he believes and he's losing his potential. Bible tells us that God wants us to grow right, but we can't grow right if we're not living what we believe. In, in 2 Chronicles, uh, uh, excuse me, yes, in 2 Chronicles uh, 21, verse 5, it talks, us about, talks about the fact that his son, Jehoram, married Ahab's daughter. This was Jehoshaphat's doing. And it said, 
Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. But Jehoram followed the example of the kings of Israel and was as wicked as King Ahab, that was his father-in-law, for he had married one of Ahab's daughters. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. The Bible says Jehoshaphat, now get this, get this, Jehoshaphat did the right thing, but his legacy was the wrong thing because he got dragged away from what he believed. That's what's huge. See, I, wanna, I don't just want to do the right thing. I want my legacy to be the right thing. I want the outcome. I want the harvest. I want the end result to be the right thing. And the Bible says if you want that, then you're going to have to stay consistent. You're going to have to live what you believe. Okay, this is the last part. The last thing I want you to think about is I want you to challenge yourself with a grace goal. Challenge yourself with a grace goal. This is from James 1, 19 through 21. It says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce. This is the growth that we're talking about. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, and the righteousness there just means rightness. This doesn't produce the right growth that God desires, right? And see, this is a thing that's really important because I think when we're growing and we don't see the outcome, we don't see the harvest, and I don't know if this is the same for, for you, but it's definitely this way for me. When I'm going through a growing season, it's a difficult time, and I would not choose to be where I am. I'd not be choos- choosing to go through what I'm going through. It's difficult for me to know, am I doing this right? I don't see the outcome yet. Am I going in the right direction? Am I doing the right thing, right? Because it's that season of dormancy, like we talked about last week, when the seeds are buried underground and you really don't see exactly what's happening. You're wondering, am I doing this right? This is the way you can put your finger on the pulse of your growth when you still don't see the outcome is by asking yourself, am I living a grace life, Why, right? Because here's the thing. What the Bible tells us that if we live up to our potential, we will grow to be like Christ, right? So what we do is we follow his example, his example of grace and love. Look at 2 Peter 3.18. It says, you must grow in what? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5, verse 1 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. If I'm following God's example, I'm growing right. As long as I can do that, as long as I calibrate to following God's example, I know that even though I don't see the outcome, and even though I don't see the harvest, I'm headed in the right direction. So how do we do this? Romans 5, 8 says this beautifully for us. Romans 5.8 says this. It says, God showed his great love, and your translation may say God demonstrated true love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, here's the important part about that. The Bible says that God gave up what he deserved to keep when we had not yet earned the privilege. That's what grace is all about. That's what living a life that follows God is all about. So my question for you is, when you want to put your finger on the pulse of, am I growing the way God wants me to grow? The question is, are you willing to give up what you deserve to keep for people who have not earned the privilege? If that's where you're at, you're growing right. Are you willing, for God's sake, to give up what you deserve to keep? You say, wait a minute, Jonathan, wait a minute. You said I'm supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But there are people in my, my life who need to hear what I have to say, and they make me angry. Right? Got to be willing to give up what I deserve to keep for people who haven't earned the privilege. But Jonathan, my boss is a jerk. He's an absolute idiot. He does not deserve my respect. He's crooked. He's causing all sorts of of issues at work. And, And Jonathan, you don't understand. I have a right to be upset with them. Are you willing to give up what you deserve to keep in in order to provide it for someone who hasn't earned the privilege? If you're doing that, you're growing. That's what God did for us. 
He didn't have to give up his life. The Bible tells us he gave it up willingly. Say, Jonathan, you know what? Here's the deal. I, I got to be honest with you. I feel really intimidated by this talk because you're talking about a lot of things that, that are growing things that I've struggled with. Well, can I just tell you, join the club? I'm right there with you. These are difficult things. And I think it would be comforting to know that even the Apostle Paul, I mean, the guy who wrote the better part of our New Testament, even he understood the fact that this kind of growing thing, understanding how to tend the growth in our life, is a lifelong process. It's something we'll always be working on. And you want to talk about a guy who understood the idea of growing? Paul understood. I mean, his growing season happened when God thumped him off his donkey and sort of yelled at him from heaven, you know? That's when it started, right? And he had had a major growing experience. And here's what he said in Hebrews 12, one and two. He says, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. What's Paul saying? He says, well, let us strip off every weight, especially the sin that tangles us up. Those things, what, what is he talking about? Paul's saying, what is in your life right now? What's in your life that is dragging you away from living out what you believe? What are the influences in your life right now that are enticing you and pulling you away from doing what you know is right? Paul's saying, got to get rid of that stuff. Can't grow with that stuff. And then he says, run with endurance. And if you're a marathon runner, you know exactly what he's talking about. The only, you know, run with endurance kind of sounds like hurry up and wait. But the truth is, running with endurance is what you do when you can't see the finish line. Bible saying, hang in there. Keep the intensity level up even though you don't see the finish line. Don't just quit running. Don't just start walking because you don't see the goal. Keep running. Keep the intensity up. You will eventually see the finish line. Here's the last part. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The Bible says he started it and he'll finish it. My, uh, my dad told a story for years about a, uh, a track meet. <clears throat> It was a, a really strong team. You know, they had, they had great athletes, and, and they were expected to win the thing. And, and they had this guy who could just run the mile an incredible time. And, and, uh, but he, the guy who ran the mile, he sort of hurt himself in a, in, a previous, uh, in a previous activity. He'd broken his leg earlier on in the meet. And so um, they were either going to have to find somebody to run the mile or they were going to have to forfeit. And you know how these meets are. They have specific rules about who qualifies to participate. So the coach is trying to figure out, who can I get to do this? And he looked over and he saw the team manager, just a scraggly kid, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's, not a, he's not a runner. He's not an athlete. I mean, his, his job is to manage the towels and the Gatorade. But, but he looks over and he says, son, I, I really need you to go in and, and run the mile because if you don't, we're going to have to forfeit this match. And he says, okay, coach, I'll do that. So you hear the starting gun go off, and one of the other teams had, you know, this incredible athlete. He just just killed it. I mean, he just went through and, and blew through the mile. And, you know, once the other places had, had been called, you know, the rest of the athletes, they just started getting off the track. You know, they just sort of give up and, you know, not going to win. And So they started putting hurdles on the track for the next event, and all of a sudden you hear over the loudspeaker, hey, get those hurdles off the track. There's one more athlete on the track. And there you see the little scraggly kid running around, you know, trying to make it out through the mile. And he, he barely makes it across the line, stumbles across the line. He's breathing hard and looking like he's a few minutes away from a heart attack. The track, track director went down to him and said, son, did, didn't you see the, 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 the race is over? 
I mean, those, those guys already won. I mean, you saw everybody else was getting off the track. What, what's up? Why would you keep going around? And he said, my coach did not send me in to win this. All my coach asked me to do was run the mile. And I ran the mile. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that God did not send you in to be some sort of performance person. He sent you in to run the mile. He asked you just to stay the course. He said, run with intensity even when you don't see the finish line. Why? This is what's great. Because God can grow anything, anywhere, anytime. All we have to do is cooperate with what he's already doing inside us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you love us and that you care about us and that you are the person who manages our growth. Father, help us to cooperate with you so that we can reach our full potential. Quickly as our time is gone, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you're in this room and you say, you know what, Jonathan, here's the thing. I heard you talking about this relationship with God and about God wanting to be there for me and God wanting to grow me, but I don't have a relationship with God. And that's, what, that's how I need to grow today. I need to grow by having a relationship with God. What would I, what would I have to do to, to have that? Here's the cool thing. God's already done all the hard part. Jesus has already died on the cross. All that God's looking now from you, he's looking for a big yes. That's it. So I'm going to say the words to a super simple prayer. And my words aren't important. What's important is that you mean this from your heart. But you can say this silently in your head to God. And if you do, it'll be settled once and for all this morning. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I do wrong things. And I know I can't get to heaven on my own. This morning I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I choose to believe in you, Jesus. Now would everybody look this way for just a moment? If you just prayed that prayer in this room, we're so excited for you. It's the biggest decision of your life. And we've even put together some materials for you we want to give you. There's a packet of materials. There's a booklet that my dad wrote on what it means to trust in Jesus and a DVD and a, a little voucher for a free Bible we just want to give you. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you do us the favor of just documenting that on that little talk to us card that you received when you came in? You can take it back to guest services, which is right through those center doors in the back, or you can take it to guest services back by the coffee shop. Nobody will hassle you. We just want to give that to you. Thank you so much for being here this weekend.